Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Always love having you on the program. One of the, the audience's favorites, and certainly one of my personal favorites, is Dr. Bob Arnott, New York Times bestselling author, uh, former uh, chief medical editor for CBS News and for NBC News, Google um, Traveler, war correspondent, uh, classical music composer, and I'm sure, Bob, I'm, I'm missing five or six other things in my list to describe you. Um, love having you on the program. Always get great reviews every time you're on the show, and uh, glad to have you on today. Welcome back. A little bit more about what you do, and then let's get into our topic, which is the Harvard University situation, which a lot of people think it might be nearing an end, but I think they've got a long period of change and reform that's going to be uh, required to go forward. And so uh, we're going to have a good conversation. So go ahead with that. Well, you know what is so interesting about this story? We had this as a, as a topic of dinner conversation the other night because there's so many different lenses you can look at it with. My fiance is an example who works for a large corporation and is always a champion of women in the workplace. Of course, it's very disappointing because it's what you call the glass cliff. In other words, they take a woman, they put her in an impossible job, and then they throw her to the bus, which is what happened to this poor president of Harvard College. And the other lens, of course, is that, you know, like a lot of corporations and universities, Harvard said, well, you know, we're going to have a DEI candidate no matter what. We're not going to look at everybody to see who the best candidate is. We're just going to have a DEI candidate. And I think the fraud here is they took this poor woman and, and groomed her for the job. And, you know, she did not have a big academic background. She did have these flaws in some of her work. But she was kind of, you know, put up for the job because she was, you know, the candidate of the Harvard board. They could have chosen some, you know, fabulous, uh, you know, black woman who had worked for the Fed, you know, and had written all kinds of policy and had done wonderful things. And, you know, it could have been a really, really good choice. So I just think it was the, the audacity of just picking somebody to put them in there because they wanted a DEI candidate. And then the other lens that I think is interesting is, look, at people are, are ferociously on both sides of the DEI issue. Obviously, those in our diverse populations love it because it finally gives them a chance at life. And, you know, on the other side and on the right, they're going, well, is that really the best candidate for the job? And corporations are going, you know, do, did we get the, the best person here? So I'm going to take sides here, but... What this does is, is it really puts a huge wrench in DEI. A lot of corporations are backing off. Universities are starting to back off and wonder, is this really the right thing to do? So it's put a big question mark there, but I think you alluded to the most important issue here, and that is, you know, as these universities just tend to veer off course, like an airliner was on an autopilot or a real pilot, you go, where are these people going? What are they thinking, you know? What is this sort of, you know, political junk that they come up with? Why can't they just, you know, run a university, have people on the left and right and center, say what they want and go on with life? I think the <clears throat> distraction here was you had, you know, these massive protests on universities. And then rightly, you know, the Jewish community, which I'm a huge supporter and believer in, goes, hey, this is anti-Semitic. You can't do this. 
And it was through the lens of anti-Semitism that Bill Ackman won here. He never could have won on the CEI front. But given the tremendous degree of anti-Semitism on campus, it, uh, you know, the whole thing blew up in their face. And the most interesting thing is that these three poor women were prepped by this very prestigious law firm. They were the ones who said, well, you know, if uh, people say that they are going to, you know, kill Jews or that they are going to, there's, you know, there should, should be some kind of, uh, you know, rise up against them, what would you do? And they go, oh, well, it's situation dependent. Always put in their mouths by the law firms. If they just thought instead of their feet, they probably still have their own job. So, yep. you know, with my 11-year-old, the reason we chose this story to talk about at dinner is there's just so many interesting, different ways of looking at from DEI to universities going astray to how you get a job uh, to, you know, women in the workplace to anti-Semitism. The whole thing is just, uh, it's wonderful from a journalist vantage point. Of course, it's a horror show if you happen to be in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and everyone has to walk on eggshells. You know, and one of the big problems, I think, for, for DEI, for woke culture, which is, you know, identity politics is really a better way of, of uh, calling it uh, because of the fact that woke is very loaded. And I, I recognize that. That's a fair criticism. But one of the problems is with this is that you are a bad person if you, in, in the current culture, you're a bad person to second guess the obvious kind social justice approach. Um, you know, you're 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 a bad person for providing additional scrutiny uh, to a person or to a situation or to an event. Um, how dare you do that? You must be racist. And as a yep. result, I think Becca Day is a victim of affirmative action type thinking. To be perfectly honest, she's a victim. Of, of uh, identity politics. She's a victim of identity politics. But it is. I mean, you're right. It is. It's pure cancel culture. Keep your mouth shut or you're going to be canceled. But I think what's disappointing is when you take people who are who really who really are woke uh, and are deep in DEI, it is perfectly all right for you to be uh, an anti-Semite, anti-Catholic, right, uh, to be uh, ageist. There are a bunch of free-for-all topics here where you can just go at it any which way you want, and you're not going to suffer any kind of retribution. So it's a very selective diversity. And what I'm afraid of is that women in particular work so hard in the, in the workplace for which there is a glass ceiling, aren't being given the opportunity they should. And I also think, you know, when you look at various diversities here, you know, obviously Amer African-Americans who have you know, had such a disadvantage in terms of their education, brought up, and uh, economics and what. I mean, I think we obviously owe them something, but, you know, do we owe the whole world something? Yeah, maybe not. Well, Chris, I'm going to get yeah. canceled now, but, but nonetheless, I do think you have to... I'll blame you for it, Bob. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, what's interesting about this is that neither one of us are saying Dr. Gay could not have become that candidate. We're not saying that. We're saying that being that kind of candidate, candidate wasn't even a priority for Harvard, Harvard, even though historically they had that kind of scrutiny and expectations. They have become so overwhelmed with cancel culture thinking that they didn't want to even ask the most obvious questions 
because they were more interested in protecting them themselves than they were Dr. Gay. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I had a, a meeting with the new president of Dartmouth College who is fabulous on this. She did not fall on her sword. She said, look, you know, you have to be very sympathetic to Palestinians and to Israelis, both of whom are victims of Hamas and, of course, of the whole Iranian agenda out there. You know, I think that one of the problems today is that people know so little history, so little politics, so little government, so little current affairs, they just get trapped in something. So you have all these pro-Palestinian uh, protests. Well, the fact of the matter is the Palestinians, most of them hate Hamas, and they have been as victimized by Hamas as the Israelis have. So I think if you oh, if you yeah. know the situation, it's kind of it's kind of you know clear here, and that you really have to, as a, as a humanist, as someone who's been involved in, in various you know charities like Save the Children for years, you really have to be very sympathetic to the two sides there, but clearly not to Hamas. You know, as we've talked about before, Iran has its hands dirty here. They don't want to have any combat on their soil, but they have these proxy forces, you know, three in Iraq, three in Syria. They have Hezbollah to the north and Hamas to the south of Israel. They have, you know, the Houthi rebels out there, you know, stopping traffic through the Red Sea. They're the bad actors there. And, of course, Putin, when he went to the uh, COP conference in Dubai, goes, well, there are lots of crises around the world. But, of course, we know number one is, is Gaza, Israel. You know, I can't believe Russia didn't have a hand in this with the Iranians, that they've been able to, A, displace Ukraine as the number one story, and displace it as a priority in terms of keeping them armed and wanting to beat the Russians. The Russians have the best chance now for a ceasefire and a deal because, you know, we're losing interest because Israel and Gaza are now at the top of the agenda. Well, and we got a whole uh, group of Republicans in Congress, in the House at least, who could care, seem to care less about what goes on in the Ukraine. Uh, they have totally bit into a narrative that somehow uh, Russia is a more sympathetic character than Ukraine. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. And there's no doubt in my mind, they keep talking about the role of um, Iran in this situation. He and I both know that this line, Hamas, is a puppet of uh, uh, Iran. So is Iran to Russia. You know, and we both know that Russia was behind this. Any reasonable person who can do elementary uh, math can see that. It is. It's just, it's just painful. But, it, you know, just there was a wonderful professor at Columbia who went on to uh, head the Juilliard Music School or 100 years ago. And he had a wonderful quote. It was, you as a citizen, you have a responsibility to be educated. And we're, we're educated by the Kardashians and you know, the wrong kind of talk radio, where it's just a lot of opinions and flim-flam and rhetoric and whatnot. The fun thing, I think, for you and me about a story is you can approach it from any which way, middle, center, left, right. You know, English newspapers like the Guardian, the Telegraph, you can have a fun story any which way you approach it. New York Times, on the other hand, you know, it's a hard time doing much more than just approaching it, you know, from sort of a, you know, sort of left to center perspective. And so I love these news sites that actually give kids the ability to look at left and right and center, all the different stories. But the joy, I think, is being able to clearly look at a story from every which direction, you know, sort of like taking a diamond and holding it up to the light and looking at it from all these different kinds of angles to truly understand a story. And then that delivers, I think, a, a, you know, a kind uh, democracy, which is what America wants. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think that's imperative. And, and I think it begins, and, and, you know, people want to keep blaming the media. I love blaming the media. There's no question about it. The way the media was so hostile to Donald Trump, it made it easy for him to look like a victim. And as a result, we got that guy as president, which I'm still shocked at. But really, the responsibility is individuals to get different perspectives. I'm very, very clearly right of center with a libertarian streak. That's kind of how I would describe myself. Um, and, uh, you know, what do I do to help make sure I don't become uh, stuck in an echo chamber? Every day, I read the New York Times. I've done that now for years. Every day, I read a lot of the Washington Post. Of course, I look at the Wall Street Journal. I look at a lot of different things. And again, I'm in the media business. There's, I think, a bigger burden on my part to read a lot of different things. And all of it is anchored in the Associated Press, which is the closest thing to objective that you can get because every other media outlet buys its news from the Associated Press, and they've got a huge incentive to stay objective. Not perfect. It's very ethnocentric, but it's more objective than anyone else. It's your responsibility to be a good consumer of the news, not blame the news for doing what it thinks is in their interest. And I, I love to, you know, the, the big think pieces, you know, like The Economist is an example. So in yes. terms of not being left, right, or center, The Economist this morning has 10 charts to compare Joe Biden and Donald Trump, all right? So Trump won hands down on inflation. You know, he won hands down on earnings. Employment, they both did pretty well. Federal de- deficit, worse with Trump. Uh, you have the stock market, better with Biden. Homicide rate, worse with Biden. You know, renewable energy, crude oil, immigration, much, much, much worse with Biden. You know, it gives you kind of a fair perspective. So you, you can be, you know, fair-minded about this. So I love the big think pieces in The Economist because, again, they take the, sh- the shackles away of politically correct thought and allow you to just go at it every which way. That's, that's the fun. That's how I understand things. Yeah, The Economist is my favorite publication, to be honest with you. And I didn't even mention them because, frankly, it's, it's kind of got a perception of being so highbrow. But the reality is it's extremely accessible and extremely clever in the way it approaches, uh, approaches the news. And so, uh, but I, I do believe, I stick to my guns on this point, uh, Dr. Bob. If you're reading stuff that only agrees with you, you have incredible blinders on. Always challenge your views by reading stuff that challenges your views. It's very interesting because, you know, the reason people do that is that there's all kind of a narrative. It's like a fairy tale, right? People have a tale they like. And if the data fits into that tale, whether it's, you know, Fox on the right and CNN on the left and, you know, AP and UPI in the middle there, they're comfortable with that. They are uncomfortable getting outside of their little narrative. And I think as the fall of our educational system and the celebrity world we live in, the people think that they've read the news after they've uh, you know, read about uh, – you know, Senator O'Connor is dying of natural causes or what happens to other movie stars. That's not the news. You know, I think we, again, we have a responsibility as citizens to actually know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the, uh, I, I don't know who said the quote, but it, the quote was, weak, weak people talk about people, uh, average people talk about events, brilliant people talk about ideas. That is a great quote, and that really does summarize the essence of our challenges today. I love that. Well, that's why you're America's favorite radio host. That's why. 
<laughs> you're awesome. You're you're certainly uh, uh, the Price of Business uh, among the Price of Business all-time favorite guests. And this show has been around a long time, my friend. Final thoughts from you as we wrap it up, and always give a plug to one of the many things you're involved in uh, that you're passionate about. Well, go to rnotmusic.com. You know, classical music, I love rock and roll music. I'm just owned. Yeah. Lots of rock and roll. What it does is it allows you to relax, and it allows you to deep think. There was a wonderful book called Does Google Make You Stupid? Because we fractionate the way we accumulate knowledge, little bits and pieces here and there. So the longer pieces that you might read in The Economist, you might read in a very good book, are supplemented by really good classical music that allows you to relax and do a long, deep think. And relax. Yes. Yeah, and uh, for most of my professional life, I've had the, the fortune of being uh, able to listen to music while working, which not everyone has that, uh, but I have. And for most of the time, I've done a lot of, like, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, uh, maybe Gordon Lightfoot. And they're great. I still love them. But I have learned, you know, when it comes to to work, when I'm trying to work, there's nothing like uh, the romantic era uh, of classical music. There's nothing like it for me. And, and uh, it's calming, it's relaxing, it makes me focus. And remember that your friend Dr. Bob is America's greatest living 19th century romantic composer. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Give, your, give that website again for your specific music. So it's arnot, A-R-N-O-T, music.com. And just the last late-breaking thing in the New York Post here, Bill Ackman's war to make universities accountable has the left panicked, as they should be. Yep, they should be. You question that source, though, New York Post. But, yes, they <laughs> should be. I agree. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Always question the source. What is their objective here? You know, but, but yes, and I believe that's true, and I hope that's true. They need some serious changes at Harvard and really at, at your mom-and-pop state university as well. They need a lot of change. You're awesome. Thanks for being part of that change, and uh, I appreciate you so much, Bob. And thanks for allowing me to be on the air with America's favorite radio host. Thank you so much. I'm Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business. I'm now going to have to figure out how to get my head out of the studio Thanks so much, Bob, and uh, we'll have more for you after this.